and a man named Robert Catsby came up with this plan to uh, blow up Parliament. I read a book about that one time, I think. Did you? The Great Catsby. I am done with you. I cannot (laughs) believe you just said that. Hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is take three, a movie podcast. Take one. So there are two things that I want to apologize for. This has bothered me since we actually published the episode, but last week uh, we did a Stephen King quick take, and we were talking about how his books are always sort of, they can all be kind of pitched in an elevator or something. You said something about Yeah, yeah. They were pretty um, high concept. Yeah, and I said that um, uh, telepathic girl goes to prom. Yeah. And do you know what's wrong with that? She's telekinetic. Yeah, she's telekinetic. I didn't think of that either, so don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Did somebody bring that out to you? No, but I was like, I think we published it, and I, I normally go into iTunes uh, very briefly and just sort of listen to the episode and scrub through it just to make sure that it sounds fine. Yeah. I heard that part, and I was like, wait, it's not it's not telepathic, it's telekinetic. I just, I got it wrong, but um, that's number one. And number two, I got my flu shot on Wednesday. It's now Saturday. And I've been feeling sick for the past like three days. And I don't know if that's it or if I'm actually sick. But pardon me if I sound like death or if I have to like cough or sneeze or snort or anything like that. I feel not so great. (laughs) So apologies. That's all. What's new with you? (laughs) Uh, Not much. Um, Halloween was just the other day. That was really fun. We got to go to a party. We got to be around all our friends. That was really nice. It was really fun. Really great evening. Um, yeah, we did have a good time. My mom, after the fact, I don't know if it was last night or this morning, but she made sure that I, she texted me and made sure that I knew that she wasn't drunk when she was like reaching into the fire because we had a bonfire and uh, <laughs> she was not only heating up her marshmallows, but she was like reaching into the fire with her graham cracker to make it warm. And she was like, I just want to let you know that. I wasn't like going to fall into the fire. I was just joking. And I'm like, well, <laughs> like sober or drunk, you're kind of unpredictable, mom. So okay, I don't know. She, She's a mess. I feel like she she always hesitates whenever we invite her out. And she rarely accepts. And I hate that. And I feel like she should just come out with us more because she was such a blast. We had so much fun with yeah. her. My mom is a lunatic. She's hysterical. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. She, she's, yeah, she's awesome. I love she my mom. She is indeed. I love you, mom. You don't listen to this because she's like, I don't know how to do this. I put Spotify <laughs> on your phone, all this stuff, but nope. She'll, she'll have never seen this movie either. Uh, but yeah, true. I don't really remember this movie very well. I saw this a long time ago on television. I remember that he speaks very eloquently, like often alliteratively, alliteratively. Like is alliteratively a word? I'm not sure, but with, you, yeah. he uses lots of alliteration, which is like he does multiple. Um, in the one case that I remember, it's 
a bunch of V's. He uses V's like a thousand times, but uh, yeah, that's in one part. He's not like this poet that only talks in like rhyme the whole movie. No, 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 no. But like he, he shows off once. But. He definitely has a way about speaking. He's uh, brilliant. He's, yeah, he's in, incredibly. Um, what's the word? He's good. He's good at. He's talking. good. What a great yes. What a great <laughs> talker. This cold has a clouded my head. Just yeah, that's what me. we'll blame it on. Yes. <laughs> Not all the marijuana. No, I'm just kidding. Because I smoke so much of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I don't remember is we don't find out. Oh, we're doing a view for Vendetta. I would imagine because you clicked on it, you know that. Uh, I But you, we don't ever find out or we don't ever like see – that actor's face like i knew the actor's name but i I just like is it a surprise like he doesn't get unmasked right um you see kind of like i don't want to say you see his face but you certainly see uh like silhouettes of him you find out kind of that he has sort of like a disfigurement later on in the movie yeah yeah um and you get glimpses like of burned, that but you never right? he's burned yeah but we'll i mean we'll get into that okay later yeah. but um there's uh he's never his face is never fully revealed okay i just didn't want always under the guy mask i just wanted to be able to talk about this particular actor and i'm like oh shit i don't know if if it's a surprise that he's in this no it's honestly i couldn't tell you the actor's name it doesn't matter his name is hugo weaving and i mean like the things i know him in like i'd imagine he's a pretty he's a pretty prolific actor but like i know him from like He's Red Skull in Captain America. He's in The Matrix, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I know him from a lot of his more mainstream work. Like, he's in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I, like, That's... never like him. Like, I always, I don't I don't really care. Because he, like, didn't want to come back and be Red Skull in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that annoyed me. So they had to get somebody who was a Hugo Weaving impersonator to do that. <laughs> so I was just like, I don't really care for him. But uh, I think he did a good job in this movie. He, yeah. So kind of going back to my background with this movie, I, since being introduced to it, which is probably like high school, uh, I watch it every year on the 5th of November. And I remember there was one year, it was actually the election year that I didn't watch it on the 5th. I watched it a few days later and I was like, wow, I don't think that this movie would have had as big of an impact having watched it like the 5th than after we got the results of the election, it, it, it Yo. uh, it's it's very current. It's very relevant today. It happened, what, four years after 9-11, which we'll get into that. There's a lot of history behind that. We'll get into that more in take three. But I mean, this is this is a very relevant, very yeah. aware movie. Okay, so like the 9-11 thing, yes, there there's a lot to talk about that because, I mean, this movie essentially opens with a giant explosion. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Very, very quickly into it. Uh, mm-hmm. But going back to you not watching it on the 5th of November a couple of years ago, there's more to that story. And basically, I was with you and we yeah. were in Washington visiting friends. It, it was either Viva Vendetta or Repo the Genetic Opera. <laughs> and uh-huh. we watched Repo the Genetic Opera, which is a movie that you hate. Oh my god! I'm I was, sorry. 
I remember being like, and I must have been like visibly upset about that because I think uh, the person we were visiting kind of references that night a lot. And he's like, yeah, Jordan was not at all happy. And I was like, okay, I, I know we wasn't a big fan of that movie, but it, like it must have really showed on my face or something. I yeah, don't know. yeah. I don't know. Someday we'll get we'll get you to rewatch that and appreciate it. But uh, I really hope that we didn't like jinx it, and because we spent election night together as well, and that was also. Um, oh my god! Was it our fault? Yeah, <laughs> it was our fault, wasn't it? Because we didn't we watch. Jinxed it. <laughs> well, it wasn't my fault. We all knew my yeah, fault. Yeah, it was mine. <laughs> Oops! Sorry, guys. <laughs> we're funny. watching it this year, so. I will say, and I. I feel like we bring these guys up every podcast. It's because we love them. But uh, our aunts did an episode on Repo, and it actually provided me with a fresh light on that movie. And I can say that, like, there's a lot of things that I just didn't pick up on in the movie. And now hearing those things, I'm like, okay, wow, this this movie is actually pretty um, pretty interesting. So I I will watch it again with new eyes this time. And uh, I'm not super against that movie anymore. Oh, well, good. I'm glad that me telling you every day for the past four <laughs> years that we've known each other that that's a good movie doesn't do anything. Yeah, but you never, However, you didn't explain why it was a good movie. Like, oh my god, no, I've shown it to you. We've watched it together, right? Like, but I know, but like, it's it, let's not fight about this. I'm not going to fight about this. I haven't really focused on it. I want to fight depth. I want to throw what? down. I'm going to throw down. We're going to stop this and fight about <laughs> repo, and we'll be back after we watch the movie. <laughs> This is not about repo. This movie, this episode is not about repo. It's about V for Vendetta. We're changing course. This episode is now about repo. I vote no. <laughs> I'm just hard pass. <laughs> I love this movie. Again, I watch it every year, and every year I find something new that I love about it. There are things that I forget that I remember. It's pretty much like a brand new experience every time. Still very relevant. Still very amazing. The one problem I have with this movie is Natalie Portman. I think she's a, an amazing actress, but she cannot do a British accent at all. I think it's awful. I think it's so bad. That's kind of alarming that, like, your main character can't do a – like, she had to have had, like, a dialect coach. It was bad. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert on accents, but, like, I don't know. It was – it's almost distracting sometimes in the movie, but – um, I don't, I don't remember how she sounds. We'll see, I guess. I cannot wait. I hope you've mentioned before. You're like, God, I don't like, I hope this movie isn't stupid. And I'm like, I really hope you don't think it's stupid. This is, I love this movie so much. It's incredible. I mean, I had to be in my early teens when I saw this Mm -hmm. now being in my very early twenties, like it's been a while. So, well, good. Well, let's dig in. Wow. You just let that slide. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wait, what? I said I was in my early 20s and I I appreciate that you were just like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's let's go. I didn't that didn't even register to me. I'm sorry. You don't listen to me. Okay. Not, never. Bye everybody. We're going to fight about repo. <laughs> this may or may not turn into a repo podcast. <laughs> oh my god. Take 2. That movie was remarkable. Yeah. I think yeah. ending-wise, that felt like akin to us with that really powerful, beautiful ending Mm -hmm. of this, like, revolution that had started. You know what I mean? It's the kind of movie that makes you want to, essentially, you just want a sequel to just find out what the hell happens (laughs) next, you know? You're so curious about, like, what, where do they go from here? But it it was just, it's remarkable. I, I was really, really impressed. And I don't think I would have gotten it or been able to at least appreciate it as much as I do now back when I first watched it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There are definitely parts that I remember, but 
Mm-hmm. I don't think I was like as engrossed as I was just then. Right. And within this year, having watched several more movies and kind of being adjusted to watching movies with a more analytical perspective. Yeah. Doing that for the first time for this movie exponentially increased my enjoyment of it. And I, it's it's just, it makes me so happy how silly of me to not have realized that this was the work of the Wachowskis. Yeah. Um, with that whole knife scene at the end, <laughs> very clearly, <laughs> I mean, that should have uh, been a dead ringer there, but yeah. So like, it's actually pretty wild. I do know this, that it's pretty widely believed that even though James Mateague is the one who is uh, credited as the director, that it is probably a situation like, Poltergeist, where Toby Hooper was credited as being the director, but it's kind of widely believed that Steven Spielberg had like a very, very, very strong hand in it. We believe that the Wachowskis had a very strong hand in this movie, and it's very evident. Mm -hmm. Uh, In take one, you brought up Natalie Portman's acting here and her her (laughs) accent. And that's yeah. So I don't have but so much of a problem with it. It might have been you might have actually saved it because I think you had said, oh, my God, like, this is so bad. So I was kind of expecting something to be really, really awful. But I I was OK with it. I Let me kind of rewind. I don't I don't know the specifics of what I said in the first take one. If I said the only problem in this movie is Natalie Portman, I want to take that back. The only thing wrong about this movie is Natalie Portman's accent. Gotcha. Her acting was incredible. There's there's no doubt about that. Like when she was getting her hair shaved, which, by the way, can only <laughs> happen once. Like they had one shot at that and it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think her scenes, her transformation in this movie was incredible. It was insanely good. I just didn't like her accent. That was the only thing wrong with it. Okay, I didn't. Good. I hope it didn't come across like I didn't like Natalie Portman in this. It's just her accent drives me insane because I don't think it's very good. Well, I mean, it's it's definitely like a part of her acting, but like, yeah. I guess I was thinking that because of the accent that I would not be able to take her seriously. And mm-hmm. like, okay, uh, you know how I feel about the prequels. I have seen Natalie Portman act poorly. <laughs> uh, she's a fantastic actor and Oscar winning actor, which a lot yeah. of people, uh, a lot of people, I don't know, like a lot of people don't take her very seriously. And I'm like, we just covered Annihilation a couple yeah. episodes ago. She's brilliant. I love she her. Is. Like, she's amazing. And I don't, I don't, when I hear people sleeping on her, I, I don't, this movie doesn't come up necessarily, but I don't know. Appreciate Natalie Portman because she's really good. I, and I absolutely do. I just, something went wrong with her acting coach or something. I don't know. Not acting. Accent. That wasn't pointing to you. That was pointed at, like, everyone. I just no, I know anybody I know. who thinks that Natalie Portman isn't spectacular, okay, uh, watch this movie. Watch Annihilation. Yeah. <laughs> watch the majority of her films are fantastic. Someday we will do Black Swan. What I, is that what she won her Oscar for? I was going to ask. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I would do. I would do Black Swan for this podcast. I remember the reason why we haven't done a Darren Aronofsky movie is back when we gave a shit. We were like, oh, people aren't going to want to <laughs> want us to do these. But now that we don't really care, it's like that's kind of a bad thing to say, like back when we gave a shit. But I mean, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like it's kind of true. We still give a shit. I think so. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did Darren Aronofsky do Mother? Yeah. OK, so I think that was the problem. Like I'd seen Mother and really loved it. 
And I was like, God, this is just swimming with stuff to look into and dive deep into. And then I was like, no one's going to want to listen to this because that movie was so hated. Well, that movie, um, that movie also is, ex- yeah, it's extremely like it's disturbing. and disturbing. I mean, yeah, yeah. Black Swan is kind of disturbing too, but not nearly but as it's, disturbing as Mother. Right. It's certainly more digestible to a wider yeah. audience. I think it's certainly more popular than Mother was. Um, but yeah, I let's I let's put Black Swan on the schedule. I'd like to do that. That would be good. There were several things that I wrote down when I was watching this. There have been a lot of back and forth about how this movie sort of glorifies a terrorist. And I think that is like totally misguided. I think that misses the entire point of the movie. And like if you didn't like this movie, I th- you're a fascist. I think I think I don't make the rules, but like that's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we should say that. But at the same time, I'm definitely not going to edit it out. I have no problem saying that. Like, like, get your shit together. <laughs> I could see how maybe somebody just hearing like the log line of this movie thinking maybe it glorifies terrorism. But you realize very quickly that we are not in modern day. The world has devolved to a state that. Uh, a, a a terrorist, someone who goes against the order of things and uh, n- like national security is actually acting in, in a just manner. V is the hero of this story. He is. And I shall note that he didn't. Okay, so he killed several people in this movie, but his the ideas and the things that he represented was not to kill really anyone he, no one died when he blew up the statue the parliament was evacuated like it's it yeah. was more about the symbols that he represented more than like murdering people it was yeah. he was a symbol of revolution and he took out the only the people that were involved in that thing that wound up killing 10,000 people you know like right right i've not read the actual the, the original source material or anything but it's very black and white that like the government is bad and I wonder if it's more nuanced in the graphic novel. Like, there is never one time where I question, okay, is the government doing right? It's always like, okay, V, from the very beginning, is 100% right and morally justified in everything he's doing. That would be interesting to to look into. Yeah. I think it was more about the harms of a totalitarian kind of way of thinking. Yeah. Uh, It's very clear that he pulled things from, like, the Holocaust or 1984. I don't know if you noticed, but there was a portrait of Adam Sutland. The is it Sutland? I just watched it. What's Sutler? Sutler. Something like that. John Hurt. John Hurt's character, the guy who's like a giant uh, Sutler face on the screen the whole time. Yeah, Sutler. There's a portrait of him in every room. That, yeah, yeah. That they shown. It's it so, felt very so creepy. <laughs> yeah, it felt very Big Brother. Very like there's surveillance vans like going all throughout the city monitoring people and coming back with statistics about like like what people are talking about and taking action against against it clearly we were supposed to pick up on a theme of like mirroring shots and and this dichotomy between Evie and V but what i thought was really interesting is you seeing these different families watching the screens mm-hmm. the whole time like very often you see news footage in stories and movies but you don't necessarily like get to see the people actually taking in the news you know being affected by the news right and you, you watch them the whole time and i love the idea that the resolution to their story these people that are just sitting there is that they all 
leave at the end. They all yeah. like it's the rooms are empty, the chairs are empty. Yeah, yeah like that. They all joined in the uprising. Mm-hmm. Even though it's as simple as taking the actors out of the scene, it just felt very powerful to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, oh, another thing I wanted to bring up about that. Do you know how we had talked about, I don't remember what episode, where it's like a, prob- a common practice to have an actor on set for just like a day or two? Yeah. yeah. I'd imagine John Hurt was on set for like a day or two because, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he had that one shot at the end, but like everything else is just him sitting there delivering. Something on the screen. knocked out everything he, yeah. he did really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and he's he's like a, a main character, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's he's like the looming threat of this film the entire yeah entire yeah. movie. Also, do you like when I say John Hurt, you know who I, you know who that is, right? It's the guy. It's uh, Seller. Yeah, right? but I, but like you know what he was in one year prior to this movie coming out. Uh, no, Skeleton Key. Oh my god! Yeah, he's the guy who's like uh, catatonic. Yes. I don't know if it's catatonic, but like he can't talk. Yeah, he's like he's um uh, yeah. It's it's the reason the caretaker went to the house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie he so much. He way older in that movie than he does in this one, but Yeah, I'm sure that was on purpose, but um yeah. Um I find it very interesting that there was not a single black person on screen until they were showing shots of people being like arrested in their homes and stuff. Did you notice that? No. I I very strongly believe that that was done on purpose. I would totally believe it. I mean, this movie, they like one of the first things said was talking about how, you know, you have to be a, a God fearing Christian, mm-hmm. you know, person. You can't be a Muslim or a homosexual An immigrant. Yeah. It's very clear that like you pretty much need to be a cisgendered white male to, uh, exactly. To exactly. make it in, in this, this government and, just conversely, like uh, the gay characters in this movie, that was powerful. Mm-hmm. I like, I mean, not only uh, Stephen Fry's character, whose name I can't remember, Gordon. Gotcha. But the Valerie and um, Ruth, mm-hmm. or yep. Valerie and just all of her girlfriends throughout. You know, like that was a uh, probably the most powerful scene. So that yeah. was the one. I don't. I don't know if you caught me in the movie. Just like I literally audibly was like, "Oh my god, this movie is great." Uh, there was a her whole monologue. There was that one thing that stood out to me, and I'm going to read it if that's okay. Of course. It was when she was uh, she came out to her parents finally, and she'd said, "I'd only told them the truth. Was that so selfish?" She says, "Our integrity sells for so little, but it's really all we have. It is the very last inch of us, but within that inch, we are free." And then it goes on and does a, a little bit more of a montage about her life, how she's captured, and how she's like stuck in this cell. And she was like, for three years, I had roses and apologized to no one. I shall die here. Every inch of me, every inch but one. An inch. It is small and it is fragile and it is the only thing in the world worth having. We must never lose it or give it away. We must never let them take it from us. And that, like, as soon as I heard her, like, re-reference, like, what she was saying in the beginning of her speech. Yeah. I, that's, it's brilliant. It is just so beyond brilliant and amazing. It's powerful and, and it, coming yeah. from I don't know I, I guess I would have to look at I mean obviously I think most people who know anything about the Wachowskis knowing that they are both now living as trans women trans, and yep. in 2005 I don't, I'm not sure if both of them had transitioned or just one but just I feel like it kind of is recontextualized now knowing mm-hmm. that they're both uh, trans people you know what I mean 
Yeah, yeah. That's immediately what I thought of. Wow, okay, this means a lot to me, but it probably meant a lot to the the people who worked on this film as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, like everyone sort of being round up and and collected, it was very like even the the pits of the people of the dead quote unquote failed experiments just being yeah. thrown into a pit and buried. Um, like it's, it's, everything was calling back to the Holocaust. There was, uh, the, the female doctor who was sort of in on this whole thing. She was like, you know, I wonder if these people realized what they were sacrificing for this country. Like, I wonder like, why, like, why are they frowning all the time? Like it, she said the words, something like, um, I found myself hating them. And I'm like, oh wow, you sound like a fucking Nazi. Yeah. (laughs) This is, this was made in 2005. It is now more i would say more relevant 14 years later definitely definitely i cannot believe i have not seen and appreciated this movie as an adult until tonight and i think the best thing i can say uh about this movie is that i am asking you to consider me in your plans next year when (laughs) to watch watch it again because i would love to watch this again with you yes it's the kind of movie that i want to rewatch it right now but like i you know (laughs) i I definitely feel like i'll be able to pick up new things and appreciate you know it's about two hours and 12 ish minutes right something like that huge huge commitment but it feels like it a lot is packed in there it's got such political intrigue this beautiful love story incredible action sequences Mm mm-hmm I'm just really, I'm really impressed. Totally. So I think all this talk about sort of its relevance and how it kind of got backlash considering the the time it came out, I was just sort of curious to know when the graphic novel was published. Yeah. Seeing if it was like any time after 9-11. It was published in 1982. Oh my that was God. The, f- the first volume. Yeah. So um, certainly very ballsy, but I will say that the, the watching it every year, I've grown to love it more, but you also sort of get to know it a little bit better. I think another one of the issues that I have with this movie is that it it is kind of told out of order. It's kind of uh, you you sort of get the full picture via vignettes and sort of like these smaller stories. But I think if it was told sort of more chronologically, I think the deaths would be a little bit more impactful. Um, specifically, the female doctor. I feel like we kind of got her story very rushed in in her last moments in this movie. Um, I just feel like they would have hit harder. I'm confused. Is it not told in chronological order? What What am I missing? It's sort of like so. You're not really you don't really told the full story about um, Saint Mary's and the whole experimentation process. None of that uh, is fully clear until. It, yeah, it jumps until, around a little bit with that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Until all of the stories kind of come together and are told. But I mean, I get why they did it. I think I think it is still successful in this movie. But I guess that's me saying that if you've seen this movie once. Or even twice, like go watch it, watch it every year. <laughs> go watch it a few more times so you can really get the full impact of it. It's a good tradition. I, I'm I'm glad that you watch it every November fifth because I don't know that we would have done it, and now I can appreciate it right around the time that today is November fifth. We're pre-recording this, but like, happy November fifth, everyone. Yeah, I'm okay with doing this a little bit early. That's fine. Maybe I'll watch it again on the fifth. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I can't imagine anyone not liking this movie, but um, I'm glad that you liked it. Yeah. Well, like you said at the beginning, if you don't like it, you're a fascist. It is the truth. Take three. I still feel like I sound like shit. You I still do. feel like shit. You look like shit. You sound <laughs> like shit. You smell like shit. That's just every day, though. I can smell you through this computer screen. 
<laughs> no, your speech pattern, like the way you normally talk is normally pretty quiet and subdued anyway. My normal volume is probably at least like 10 decibels higher than your normal volume. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think it's that obvious. I think it's less the volume and more just I feel like I sound a little bit more nasally than usual. But uh, I just took a day quill, so we'll see how this goes. I apologize for any like sniffling or coughing that you may hear. I feel like I probably said that already, but... That's okay. My brain is also very foggy. <laughs> this is about as close as we've ever cut it, I think. Yeah. Should we just, like, reveal what happened? Yeah, I don't or do you want to keep fine. it a secret? That's fine. I just... So, we... I went over to his house to celebrate Halloween, and um, we kind of planned on doing V for Vendetta and recording at his house, but I think ultimately decided that with the time constraints and how I was feeling, it would probably be better to do Viva Vendetta as a quick take instead of a full episode. So uh, we sit down and we start to watch the movie. And like 10 minutes in, you're like, we got to do a full episode on this. This is just too good. This is just so good. And in the back of my head, I was like, yes, I'm actually really, really, really glad that we decided this. Um, so now we are... Pedal to the metal, really this, <laughs> getting this done quick. This episode comes out like in two days. So. <laughs> it's the third right now. So, um, but I have a lot of research that I yeah, um, and I'm glad we did change it because this is the format that I think that this movie deserves, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Not that the movies that we do smaller episodes for don't deserve you know big episodes, but like I don't know, there was just so much to talk about in this mm -hmm. in this one, and yeah. I was just like. We, we got to do it justice. Yep. I really like this movie a whole lot. Okay. Good. Uh, do you want me to go or do you want to go? You feel free to go. Uh, you know what? Actually, I think I'm going to go first this time. I I figured let's start at like the beginning and sort of do the history of Guy Fox and who he is, if that's all right. No. All right. Then go ahead. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so back in the 1600s, uh, King Henry VIII was king he ruled that everyone in england convert uh to protestantism which caused a lot of issues lots of people were fighting over their religion it was the catholics versus the protestants and a few years later king james the first uh received the, the throne and is now the protestant leader of england and some catholics were still pretty bitter about that and a man named robert catsby came up with this plan to uh, blow up Parliament. I read a book about that one time, I think. Did you? The Great Catsby. I am done with you. <laughs> I cannot believe you just said that. I cannot believe you just made that joke. <laughs> that was really stupid and terrible. My my ears did not deserve that. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> uh, anyway, fun fact about Robert Catsby he is a direct ancestor of Kit Harrington, who played Jon Snow on Game of Thrones. And Kit actually played Catsby in a film about Catsby. That's I awesome. You that. I don't know if you read that in your book. I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. So Guy Fox was hired by Catsby because he was an expert with explosives and gunpowder. So he and his team would smuggle a bunch of barrels of gunpowder into uh, the uh, parliament's basement. And the plan was to find a time when the king 
and the two houses of the UK government, which was House of the Lords and House of Commons, were going to be in the same room, which rarely happened. It, it very rarely happened. But it uh, was going to happen in February of 1605, I believe. And that's sort of when the plan was supposed to happen, was in February. But there was a small complication because a bad case of the plague actually hit London. So the meeting kept getting pushed back <laughs> until... That's a small complication, a plague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until it finally happened in November. Like it was finally planned to happen in November, the 5th of November, actually. Oh, so shit. Every, yeah. So uh, everything was ready. All of the gunpowder and everything was set up in the basement. Um, and then word got out. Someone wrote a letter to the king spoiling their plan no one really knows where the letter came from but the night that fox was supposed to light the fuse the king's guards caught him and arrested him much like in the movie however for a few days they tortured him to get information and he lasted two days on the rack and manacles before finally giving in and the rack and manacles if you don't know they basically uh cuff you on your arms and legs so you can't move your arms and legs and then they like stretch you or hang you and put weights on your feet so you're kind of like stretched out to make you taller as far as you can go but it's very painful okay (laughs) so eventually people were like interrogated and and the rest of his team were found so like catsby and the team that he hired to make this plan happen Many were shot by the guards who found them, like, the moment that they were found. There was, like, a fight that broke out, including Catsby. But four of them survived and were brought to the king for, like, questioning or more torture. So Guy Fawkes was the first to get the noose. But in an act of rebellion, he jumped off the platform headfirst and died, also by breaking his neck. So he would have died breaking his neck either way. But he didn't want to give them the satisfaction, so he jumped off the platform before they could put the the noose around his neck. And uh, oh, really, first, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Like, I'll show them. It's funny because I wanted when it happened in the movie, I wanted to see if his death was accurate, if he actually did get hanged, which he didn't. Uh, but when I went to Google it, uh, I typed in Guy Fox death, like cause of death. And it gave me cervical fracture. And I was like, that is not true. Because he didn't fracture his cervix. <laughs> That's just incorrect. <laughs> Mind you, I was like high on meds and really not feeling well. But um, he that just means that you broke your neck, essentially, uh, which did happen. Not his so, cervix. Jesus not his Christ. Cervix. <laughs> Don't judge me. I already uh, am. Anyway, um, one of the other survivors actually tried to do the same thing, but he really hurt himself but didn't actually die and then was hanged anyway but the rest of the team that survives had their genitals cut off and burned in front of them they were disemboweled and decapitated and their body parts were displayed as warning throughout like the town and country so uh treason not a good idea in the 1600s so he was better off just breaking his cervix uh, then, Honestly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, good for you, Guy Fox. And so the full poem, everyone knows the like, remember, remember the 5th of November poem. 
It's actually a couple lines long, and it goes, Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fox, Guy Fox, twas his intent to blow up the king and the parliament. Three score barrels of powder below, poor old England to overthrow. By God's providence, he was catched with a dark lantern and a burning match. So holler boys, holler boys, let the bells ring. Holler boys, holler boys, God save the king. Like that was the full the full poem. And uh, people still celebrate Guy Fawkes Day today. It is celebrated every November 5th. Typically it's called bonfire night nowadays, uh, but every November 5th people you know, have bonfires, they make dummies of Guy Fawkes and then they throw them into said bonfires. Um, there's a lot of fireworks that go off that night, but essentially it's a celebration of a plan gone wrong. It's like, yay, the <laughs> parliament wasn't blown up. So it's like, <laughs> it's a really interesting thing. And I also, I almost wonder if like Catholics celebrate this because it was sort of like, I don't know, like, I feel like that's a like, yay, the Protestants won that one, even though they didn't really, I don't know. It's, it seems like a very weird kind of celebration, but I don't know. That's uh religion fights a lot in history, so who knows? Yeah. That you're you are very correct. That's really fascinating. I thought so. I am impressed. I so. Oh, and so the source of the mask is sort of a caricature of Guy Fox. It's sort of it's just it's just supposed to look like Guy Fox. It's like a, a, a stylized version of his face so Very that's where cool. that comes from and it's used today in uh an anarchist group or i think it's called anonymous it's sort of like a computer yeah. hacker group uh that sort of represents anarchy and the sort so so shout out to anonymous yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if we're friends with them or no, not. i don't, I don't know if it's no. good to be friends with them but um you certainly don't want to be their enemy no that is that is for sure so that is really interesting on a lot of different levels. I would say that uh, the the fact that that plan kept getting moved back to November 5th and then the original plan to release this movie was to be released on Friday, November 4th of 2005. It was wound up being de- delayed to March 17th of 2006. Oh, geez. Which is like, that was like one of the first things I noticed. Was there... A reason for that? Do, do you know why it got pushed back? So there were speculators that said that it was because there were bombings in London that summer and that they oh, wanted to distance themselves from that. Yeah. However, the filmmakers actually came back and said that they just needed more time to work on the visual effects. I would have waited another year. It's kind of like releasing a, a Christmas movie in April, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I, Shazam is a Christmas movie and it came out in March or April. And I was like, well, that's strange. I'm not really in the Christmassy mood right now. (laughs) I mean, it happened during Christmas. Would you really consider that a Christmas movie? No, but it happened during Christmas. So it's like, all right. I I don't know. I think that's strange. And I hated Shazam. (laughs) I thought that was a really, uh, we're off track, but I thought that was a really boring unfortunate movie i yeah i i had problems with that movie as well but but like this is it okay day. guy fox day isn't christmas <laughs> right can you stop coughing you're distracting no, me i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i don't feel I'm good. just teasing you i'm i'm really sorry that you don't feel good it's okay the fact that this movie in its trailer and its promotional advertisement and like the coolest most memorable line of the movie is that fucking poem and yeah, then it's yeah. like uh, coming to theaters in March. 
<laughs> I don't know. That's weird to me. But this movie only cost $54 million to make, and it did make $132 million worldwide. I don't know what its uh, advertising budget was, but it didn't lose the studio money, most likely. Probably with the ancillary market, it's it's wound up. <coughs> what did I tell you? <coughs> Stop. <coughs> I hate you. Let's just turn this into, I'm going to talk about Repo while you cough. No, no, no. We need to finish this so I can like not feel bad about coughing, which makes me want to cough even more. Okay. <laughs> so I know we had talked about in take two that this film was inspired by a lot of real world elements and that, you know, that there were clear references to the Holocaust and Nazism and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. apparently one of the, the big influences uh, especially when it comes to the government, was the government of uh, Margaret Thatcher, who used to be the prime minister of the UK. Very conservative. Yeah, she was like ultra conservative. So I will put a little asterisk to what you're saying because I think this was uh, for the book. I think the book was very heavily reliant on – because the movie's different. The movie pulls from different things from what I researched. Yeah, so the movie then seems to be more of a commentary on the United States and the Bush administration of that at that time. I think I brought this up in take two, but I took it out because I don't think I said it very well. But this movie, just a couple of years after 9-11, made a movie in which the government enacts this plan to kill a bunch of people to be able to restructure the government in their favor. And it's like, there have been accusations made of that towards the Bush administration. So that's like, Mm -hmm. that was really ballsy of them. And I mean, I'm not taking a side on it at all, but like... Just the fact that they kind of made that parallel was, yeah, yeah. This movie is clearly set in the UK, but... The commentary, obviously made by American filmmakers, it works on both levels, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary. It's just really fucked up to think about, like, yeah. that someone could even come up with this shit in their head. Uh, Alan Moore is like, I don't know. Like, I understand being creative, but Alan Moore is the guy that wrote this graphic novel. And after The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out, he was like, I'm pulling my name from any of these stories that you guys, if you ever adapt one of my works, I don't want my name on it. So his name is not on Watchmen. On Watchmen, when Watchmen comes up, it says, based on the book illustrated by, and then I don't know the (laughs) illustrator. Forgive me, I don't know the guy that illustrated Watchmen. So his name is just not on these. He said that he read this script and that it was rubbish and that he thought that because of the fact that it now is directed towards the United States, that it it loses a lot of its impact. Like his original story was set as a conflict between fascism and anarchism, but the movie actually turns it into liberalism versus Mm neoconservatism, which is how we understand it as Americans, and it makes more sense to us because we've dealt with those two things. Liberal and conservative are more understandable terms to us than anarchism and fascism. You know what I mean? So it's more palatable to an American audience. I understand why they did that, but what he says is it it abandons that the original anarchist fascist themes and then it kind of takes away I was just gonna say like waters it down a little bit. Yeah. I I can see where he's coming from. Yeah. He also says apparently uh, one of the strong uh, there's a strong theme of of uh, racial purity in the book 
and it's not necessarily brought out. Aside from what you had mentioned about they're really only showing anybody of color. Right. And I want to say, I swear to baby Jesus, I swear to God, I did not look at this before I watched that movie. I did some research, but this did not come up. And I just want to applaud myself for noticing that. And I think that like, like it's a nod to say that like, yes, clearly they made an attempt to show that maybe it wasn't as in your face as it was in the novel. Yeah. And I was like, I caught on to that. I figured that out. Like that was, I don't know. I don't well, know. No, that's good. That's good. I think it just wasn't enough for Alan Moore. Yeah. Yeah. This is another thing I think I said in take two and took out because I don't think I said it very well <laughs> was that that there was a definite black and white right and wrong in the film that like yeah. never once did I think that anybody really was right other than V. You know what I mean? Yeah. The majority like maybe the cop was just trying to do his job, but like all the political, you know, uh got people that were getting picked off, I was like, oh, but you're right. Oh, you know, but he had a point. No. It was like very black and white. Apparently there was definitely more of a gray area in the book. And what I said was that I'd be interested to see if they had added a little bit more complexity to, you know, are these people right or are they fully wrong or is it a little bit more ambiguous? Are we kind of left to decide for ourselves? And it kind of makes sense because of the fact that in a graphic novel, you have an unlimited amount of time. This movie's two and a, or two hours and 12 minutes long. You know, so you only have so much time. You can't go into backstories, but so much, and you can't really expound on what people are thinking. So I think that's where the gray would have come in, and apparently that's yeah. where the gray does come in. So mm -hmm. I also wanted to bring up uh, some other things that were different about the book and the movie. And it's funny because when we finished this movie, I looked over to my pile of books and saw that I actually owned the graphic novel. And for a very brief moment, I was like, ooh, could I read this? before we record tomorrow i didn't uh it is very detailed it is not you know i think it sounds easy to pick up a graphic novel and finish it relatively quick quickly i don't think that would be possible here but um essentially kind of piggyback off your point in the book the leaders that were sort of uh, introduced to they're sort of just kind of dealing with and reacting to the way this government is operating whereas in the movie the leaders are very obviously evil like we we are designed to hate them in the book evie is only 16 and i think she's like a sex worker they say they call her a street walker and she yeah. witnesses like the first explosion that she witnesses is actually parliament whereas in the movie evie's you know obviously like maybe mid-20s and uh, she gets to see the old bailey explode first uh in the book there's a scene where v crosses prothero kidnaps him mentally tortures him uh, by both drugging him and setting his doll collection on fire <laughs> to mimic what happened at Lark Hill. And just flipping through last night, I actually saw those dolls. It was a weird, uh, interesting thing to put in there. I'll have to, like, I, I do intend on reading this afterwards, and I'm interested to see, like, where that comes from. The detective in the movie, I think his name is Detective Finch. Finch, Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah. He has a bit more of a of an apparent transition in the movie, uh, and I think I really respect his character because it's really difficult to sympathize with him immediately because his whole his whole mission in this in his role in this movie is to capture and stop V, who we're all rooting for. Yeah. 
but he's only doing his job. So eventually, like in the end, he, you know, changes sides. He gets his little heroic moment in the movie, but not in the book. Right, right. Um, Like, yeah, he's he's sort of faced with doing his job or or being the good guy and letting the revolution proceed kind of Um, in the book. Dietrich, who is the gay guy in in this one, who uh, what's the actor's name? Stephen Fry. Yes, Stephen Fry. That character in the book is Avery's, not Avery, <laughs> Evie's lover. But everything else is the same with their characters. He gets captured and killed the same way. So it, another, I, it was ahead. interesting. Uh, it may, it makes a little bit more sense that she would then go to his house and all of that stuff. It like yeah. the fact that they're lovers in the book. It kind of like I understand a little bit more as why that they're put together versus in the movie. I guess they just work together or work you know i don't know like how i don't really know how they're related when it comes to the movie i guess they're just friends i think in the movie i i would assume that they're just good friends because i think at the beginning when she went to see her uncle or something when that she was explaining to the fingerman why she was out so late i think she meant to see him she was trying to go see him yeah right right I think they're just good friends and maybe they wanted to do dinner or something. I'm not sure. But then like he kind of comes out to her when he shows her the art collection. I don't, I don't really know actually in the movie what, like where the beginning of their relationship started. But um, can I just say that like after all he did and after all the things that he did on television, the fact that the Quran is what sealed his fate was gut wrenching. Yes. (laughs) And so watching this again, like every year, I should know this movie forward and backwards because I watch it every year. But uh, there are things that I don't quite recall every time I watch it. And when she's at his house and she's like, thank you, like you have no idea what you're risking putting me here and housing me. I was kind of like, oh, God, I know he gets captured. Like, it's her fault. And then I realize that it's not. It's because he decided to pull that stunt on television. Yeah. Not really knowing the repercussions. And it kind of it brings me peace knowing that he sort of did that to himself and Evie didn't like bring this wrath upon him. It's still sad. Like I'm still on his side, but it's it's I'm kind of relieved that it wasn't Evie's fault. He said that if they come into this house, that like you're not going to be the issue. Like yeah, they're yeah. going to find a lot worse stuff. Yeah, yeah. than you. Some other last few points. Um, V's elegant way of speaking in the novel is attributed to the drugs he was given at Lark Hill. They sort of uh, hinted at the fact that they kind of gave him this multiple minor, personalities. Yeah, yeah, minor case of like schizophrenia or something, which I think is kind of beautiful in a way. Uh, and in the end of the novel, Evie assumes the role of V. She actually like once he's um, sent off in the train and explodes, she kind of puts on his mask and makes this like final speech to the public saying like, follow me or remain in your chains or something like that. Um, and sort of delivering and solidifying the the revolution. Which, which totally, again, it's like they kind of reference these things because yeah, the first yeah. person you hear say, remember, remember the 5th of November is not V it's Evie. Right. 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 So here's the here's my conclusion to Moore's problem. I can understand his dislike of the movie. I can understand it. I don't agree with how aggressive he was about it, like to take his name off of it and everything. And just he read the screenplay, didn't even watch the movie. He read the screenplay and was like, I don't like this. Um, But to each their own, it's his art, whatever. But I think both have merit. I think both should be respected for what they are, because I think they're both very beautiful works of art. I think they both say something very powerful. I think they're just kind of, they do it in different ways. 
I'm very eager to read the book. I think it's, I, it, this made me certainly more interested in it. Um, but I, I, again, they're both, they both have something to say and they both should be heard. I think. I like to discuss Alan Moore's stance on things a little bit. This man has created some incredible works of art. Yeah. You know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Watchmen, V for Vendetta. He has left a lasting effect on the world of pop culture. But his unwillingness to even try and partake and maybe help sculpt the adaptations of his work uh, it just makes me feel like he's just going to get left in the dust. Like, sure, people will remember his work, but not necessarily the creator. Whereas I think if he was a little bit more open to being involved in whatever regard, like so few people read comic books and graphic novels. And that's a shame. But I think that if he were a little bit more open to even just just having his work credited you know, as yeah. based on, I guess what I'm saying is, is that it just, to me, feels like he is completely against anybody interpreting his work or helping it last longer than it originally would. Because that's how we are able to continue appreciating people's work. That's how we are able to continue appreciating art is by looking at it through new lenses Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't want to be a part of that, then I think a lot of the spirit of what he's created is just going to die with him. And that's a I, shame to me. I, I don't know if it's necessarily that, but I think he – there's certainly pride at work here. Yeah. It's, it seems like he can't let go of his pride, but I think he should – there should be – some respect or appreciation for what he's doing because I don't know. And I could be completely off base here, uh, but I don't know that his work would be very successful if it wasn't for these big epic adaptations of his. Um, I'm not really in the graphic novel community. I don't know how true that is. Well, but, I mean, um, this stuff was I definitely certainly, celebrated. These were yeah, like among, yeah. amidst the graphic novel community, but I can guarantee you that, that there are going to be people like me like me, who actually likes comic books uh, that would have never or that like had never heard of exactly uh, this. That's yeah, this and, movie. And that's exactly my point. Like I would not have known about Watchmen. I would not have known about uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or V for Vendetta yeah. if it weren't for their adaptations. I think that's my point here. But um, but I mean, it's his work. He created it. I mean, he's the artist. I If he he's allowed to get upset that it's being adapted but um i don't know i'm certainly glad that they they have been i mean he can certainly feel however he wants to but i guess what i'm saying is that is that you can be pissed all you want to and you can have a bad attitude about it but it's not going to stop it from being made it's not going to yeah, stop it from yeah. being appreciated and i bet you that a lot of people are going to to watch this new Watchmen show and see that movie and watch uh, V for Vendetta and watch uh, this probably all is a commentary on the fact that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a terrible movie. But like <laughs> watch League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and, and and all the other things that I'm leaving out and not read his stories. And I think yeah. that if he was more of a a presence, people would be like, oh wow, cool guy. Like <laughs> uh, you know, is a part of it. He just seems like a crotchety old man to me. Like from he what does. I've and he looks like one too to be honest. <laughs> he looks like a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. In a haircut. Here's here's the thing. I think uh this discussion 
Uh, I'm glad we had it because now I know about him. Yeah. <laughs> but like if it weren't for the adaptation, I wouldn't know about his work. But this has inspired me to sort of look at what else he's done because I'd love to see. I, I hope it inspires all of our listeners to read his work or to just yeah. uh, watch things that are inspired by like watch him in the movie. I love that's a movie we were going to do and I wanted to do it in time for the the show, but I still think we will still do it at some point. Like, yeah. and regardless of the differences between the movie and the book, he still created those characters and it's still considered one of the greatest graphic novels ever written. Yeah. So he should be celebrated. I just wish I could shake him and be like, just appreciate this. You are, if, if, <laughs> if you, if you would just step out into the limelight a little bit, people would like, would worship you. More yeah. than more people, I, I guess he's okay with the people that worship him now. I don't know. <laughs> it's not our place to judge him. It's not our place to change him. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. You seem very defensive over uh, over Alan Moore. I'm not defensive. I just think that like, like what if I mean, what if Stephen King did this kind of stuff? That's I think like I think I struggle with that because if his source material is good enough, it, like there's nothing I can do about his attitude towards the adaptation of course not i mean i'm not gonna write him a letter i'm just i think he would last longer if he just had a better attitude about this kind of stuff I, yeah i mean i think a better attitude is always better but like again there's nothing we can do i i can only hope that he just keeps creating great stuff that then get adapted and <laughs> appreciated by a wider audience than would be if it wasn't adapted but we're getting off topic and not really but we're uh i think we've exhausted this discussion. Okay. So another thing that I brought up in take two, but I did leave this in uh, <laughs> James McTeague, which is the director of this film. And, you know, he may or may not have directed all of it or, you know, I'm sure he was like guided through it. It actually makes a little bit more sense because I looked up his filmography and he, you know what he was the first AD on? What? All of the matrix movies. So it makes oh, sense okay. that he would be, you know, he would really work closely with the Wachowskis at mm-hmm. the time. This is actually his directorial debut. Whatever he wound up doing on this movie, I think he did a great job. I'm very impressed. And another person I wanted to bring up that I thought was actually kind of cool was the stunt double that actually walked out of the Lark Hill. Is that what it's called? When it's like yeah. on fire and he's like walking through fire and he's playing V. Mm-hmm. Apparently, when he does that like moment where he like raises his arms and it's like, ah! yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's like walking out there. He was actually on fire. Oh shit. Yeah. So like they had to, it was, it was really cold. It was like below zero there. Apparently the gel was really cool. So they lowered this guy's temperature a whole lot and then actually lit him on fire. So he had, you know, the, the fire retardant gel, but he was legit on fire. So I thought that was really neat. Uh, but I thought it was even neater that this is such a small world. It's it's very interesting. Do you know who that person was? That stunt double was? No. Chad Stahelski. And you know what Chad Stahelski wound up going on to direct? No. John Wick. And John Wick 2. And John oh Wick 3. <laughs> starring the star of the most famous Wachowski movie. I was like, this That's is like funny. really... <laughs> Like, Full circle. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is really cool. I knew he got his start uh, being a stunt double, and it shows. I've only seen the first John Wick, and I, I really liked it. I don't think you will. Uh, but because it's on. just like all action. It really is just. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask why. And yeah. yeah. Yep. 
But uh, I thought that was like, that's really kind of cool. Oh, this is kind of cool. The film apparently negotiated for like months to be able to get the permission to shoot on this place called Downing Street. There's like a, I'm, I'm using their words, thoroughfare uh, that runs through Trafalgar Square, which is like where all the parliament <laughs> buildings are. Oh my God. Right. Don't. <laughs> Don't. I don't like it either. Uh, it's okay. I'm just teasing you. So apparently they, they they actually got permission that like that's never happened before to shoot there for three nights. So like when you actually go out – because I just figured all of this shit was like sets and back lots and stuff like that. They actually shot these scenes where they said they shot them. I was like that is amazing. And they probably didn't actually blow up the parliament building. But uh, <laughs> I thought that was really kind of cool. Yeah, I heard the actors actually had to get like the actors and everyone else on set had to get background checks as well. And all the weapons and like tanks and stuff had to be checked daily because they were so close to the parliament. Oh, I'm sure. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Two more things. One, I want to talk about James Purifoy. I don't know if you actually know who he is. I really liked him. Uh, in this show, it was this really short-lived show. I think it was on Fox. It had it's, he starred opposite Kevin Bacon. It was a show about a cult. It was called The Following, and James Purifoy was like the bad guy. It was so like scary and good. And then I stopped watching it, and then they canceled it. So <laughs> I got what I deserved, I guess. But uh, I love a good cult story, though. Yeah, so it was really interesting. Like I really do think that it it would be worth uh, checking out. I wonder if it's on streaming or something like that. Um, but yeah, so he was actually originally cast as V and he actually, he filmed some scenes, but he had to get replaced by weaving. Then there's a billion theories why, but, um, he had to get replaced by weaving like four weeks in what better character to have to replace than the guy that's wearing a mask the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. So I read, I read that, uh, so back to the theories about why a lot of people, the rumor is that he got fired, but he kind of says, no, that didn't happen. He said he didn't like how his voice was delivered through a mask. But when Hugo Weaving did it, like the same thing happened. So what they did was they ended up dubbing his voice like after the fact, like he did yeah. all the scenes normally, but then he went into a studio and recorded his lines and he was actually able to record the lines that um, James did first. So it's like, it all just kind of worked out because he's behind a mask the whole time. It really, you can kind of do anything with them. So exactly. Exactly. It it's out. like Deadpool. They were able yeah. Deadpool. They could consistently for every new trailer that was released, they could have him saying something new Yeah, because yeah. it didn't matter. Like the voice wasn't, you know, I thought this was kind of funny. James Fatigue said, uh, he's like, can I tell the difference? Yeah. Can the audience tell? I doubt it. <laughs> I certainly couldn't tell. I can't. No. And I was thinking the whole time, I was like, I wonder if that's even Hugo Weaving. I wonder yeah. if he's just the voice, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because you yeah. really don't ever see his face. Like, you know, you see outlines, but you just get somebody that looks like Hugo Weaving. Yeah. It really could have been anyone. It, it's yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then the last thing that I, you know, I, uh, probably if it's not that I have, my, my notes are too messy and, uh, I should be, yeah, I, that's fine. My, my notes are messy. I was just thinking like, maybe I've left some shit out, but I, it doesn't matter. The last thing was, this is my favorite scene in the entire movie is the dominoes. I was like, I gotta figure out. Oh, Apparently yes. <laughs> it was 22,000 dominoes for professional domino 
like like assemblers. Like, can you imagine that being your job? I'm a domino assembler. <laughs> that is fucking dope. Like, I mean, there are the competitions. I missed out on what? There are domino competitions. Out yeah, there. Like, it is a very real thing. I'm so not patient enough to do that. But oh, uh, God, no. Yeah, I like. Ugh. But 200 hours to set it up, and apparently there was a point in time they they speak of uh, there being a a it was an accident, and some of them did get. Knocked over. Yeah, and they had to start over. And then they they had to close off the set. And apparently, like, the day that they were actually going to film the shoot, there was someone, uh, it was like a hairdresser, combing through the hair on V's wig. And she dropped her comb like of course very close to the dominoes but it didn't it didn't do it and it went oh off without god. a hitch and i'm like <laughs> oh my god that girl almost got fired <laughs> i also read that they needed it uh for different like camera angles and they didn't just set up three cameras during the falling of the dominoes they had to reset that every single time so it took over 600 hours to set up those dominoes, like 600 hours total to do that, to do those dominoes scenes. So, Oh shit. Okay. So like each time it took 200 hours, I figured that was like all of the different set. Fuck. All right. Well, uh, I, I mean like those domino people, uh, like that scene is the coolest scene in the whole fucking movie. So absolutely. Absolutely. So your work will live on. It's like that moth in, um, in Lord of the Rings, like oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he gave his life for that scene, but yeah. it, it will live on in my heart forever. So uh, I don't know what else there is to say about this movie. There probably is a lot. It's probably a lot, but I have a few things. But uh, oh, I thought you said you were done. No, I just have, I have a couple more things. Okay, well, you say it. Okay. I will say them. Uh, so, and you pretty much covered a lot of these as, as well. But um, just a few other things: the music in the trailer came from the dark knight and batman begins i thought you'd appreciate that it, it's it's crazy how like popular that that music became yeah. also the alliance of anarchists which i'm gonna bring up a quote from another movie which i love uh stranger than fiction with maggie gyllenhaal and will ferrell you've seen it right yeah there's a line where she go what excuse me i just said yeah I know. Did you not like it? I don't remember. I might have. You showed it to me. I think I I probably did. I really love that movie. But there's a line where Maggie Gyllenhaal goes, are you telling me that anarchists assemble? And then Will Ferrell says something like, yeah, maybe they have conferences or something. And then she goes, well, doesn't that completely defeat the purpose? (laughs) So it's sort of like this alliance of anarchists just seems very oxymoronic to me but essentially the alliance of anarchists protested this movie they say that it watered down the story's original message in favor of violence and special effects so the the league of anarchists uh had a problem got with this together movie when it first came out yeah they all got <laughs> together and formally protested yes yes that's um, cute real yeah. cute and then one final note here that i thought you'd appreciate uh bryce dallas howard Scarlett Johansson and Kira Knightley all auditioned for this role. That is literally one of those notes. I told you I had messy notes. I was like, that's somewhere in here. Yep. <laughs> I swear to God. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I love Natalie Portman in this role. I think her accent is her only downfall, but I would have loved to just see, like, if there was, if there's a way to look into 
alternative universes where the three of these women got those roles. I would have loved to watch those movies just to see how they would be different. But um, yeah, they, I think they bring something similar. It makes sense that they would all kind of go for the same kind of roles. I mean, not to bring up the prequels again, but Keira Knightley <laughs> played uh, Natalie Portman's double in the prequels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. right. I remember being like when I was rewatching them like as an adult, I was like, it's like, wait, that's not that's not Natalie Portman. And they're like saying it is. And OK, yeah, I'm sorry. Back to it. I don't want to talk about the prequels anymore. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was, that was all I had to say, really. I, I'm not sure about Bryce Dallas Howard. I love her. But to see her in this serious of a role, I don't I can't. Has she been in any like action movies? Mm, she's not really involved in any of the action, though. Yeah. The one that I could see doing the best job next to Natalie Portman would be Keira Knightley just because oh, really? like when I think yeah because like that vulnerability that they both have see I was thinking Scarlett Johansson because I think that Keira Knightley see, now thinking, Scarlett Johansson will never seem vulnerable to me anymore just after like she is the biggest badass on the fucking planet yeah I guess so yeah uh, like I, I just don't I mean like not that she doesn't have range and she but I, I just wouldn't be able to see her like that you're right genuinely. I, you know what I mean I did see her I saw her, what was the movie it wasn't date night was it date night that's right they, Adams no oh, no, no, they, no 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 they Which hire the night? stripper and then kill him that's accidentally uh they hire the stripper oh it's my god date night what is it no date night yeah when they oh no oh uh date nights with um Tina Fey and Steve Carell right yes this is the movie with Kate McKinnon yes. and yes. what is that movie called? If only we had computers right in front of us. Let me look it up really quick. Rough Night. Rough Night. It's called Rough Night. There are too many night movies. There's, <laughs> there's Game Night. There's Date Night. There's Dark Night. There's it's too many. There's too many. But uh, so I did see that, and I will say that she stuck out like a sore thumb. There was it just did not seem like the right movie for her. So I think, I think you're kind of right that she, she just doesn't fit for that kind of genre of movie. Is it, is it wrong to say that I feel like she was kind of above it? I mean, I could just see her in like, obviously I just want more black widow movies, but, (laughs) but uh, even like, I've seen her in like some Saturday night live sketches and even at her like brightest, brightest as in like attitude or like when she's in a funny scenario, she's still kind of like, I don't want to say dull, but or one note, but like she's more like serious and more yeah, subdued. She right, she right. plays. Uh, <clears throat> she just has a calm demeanor level. Yeah, yeah, just a calm demeanor, pretty much twenty four seven, and it just doesn't fit sometimes. I think but. the the best things that suit her are, are more serious roles. Like I hate the way this movie ends. I hate it, but I think her best performance is a voice performance. The best thing she's ever done is her. Her oh, is, I haven't seen she that is yet. on another level. She should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that shit. And what a great, like, what a great example of using your voice to put, like, and only your voice to portray emotion. Yeah. That's all I know about the movie is that she plays, like, a robot that falls in love or something like that. But, um, yeah. oh, I want to see that so bad. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, you'll be really just, dis- well, he might not be disappointed. I was very disappointed by the end of the movie. Uh, the, the way that I see it is the kind of comedies that I think 
come out nowadays with like a group of women and they're like brought like she I don't think she would have worked in like bridesmaids like that kind of over the top comedy like not to see that she's not funny but she's or not to put those comedies more, down not to put no those oh my god I love yeah. love oh yeah I love all of them um but I don't know it's just not it's not a Scarlett Johansson thing but why on earth are we talking about Scarlett Johansson comedies <laughs> where did we go how did we steer so far off track Honestly, that was my last note. So I. Oh my I, God. Let's just end it. Let's just shoot the dog now. <laughs> Take it out back complete. and shoot it. <laughs> I truly do not feel up for spieling a whole outro right now. Go listen to the end of another episode. You should know where to find us by now. Take three AMP at everything. I'm going to go slip into a NyQuil coma. I will see you guys next week. Bye bye.